It's finally 2021, and to celebrate, we're offering a New Year's special. Annual memberships are now available at patreon.com slash CFBWinningEdge. By joining us as an annual member, you will save 16%, which is like getting two months for free. We're also offering Tier 2 access to Tier 1 annual members. Help support this podcast, keep it ad-free, and help us fund 2021 updates, improvements, and new projects by becoming an annual member at patreon.com slash CFBWinningEdge. Welcome back, everybody. It's College Football Winning Edge, the podcast edition. I'm your host, Scott Bogman. Follow me on the Twitter at Bogman Sports. I'm joined, as always, by Nicholas Ian Allen, the owner and proprietor of CFP Winning Edge. Follow him on the Twitter at CFP Winning Edge and Xavier Trish. Follow him on the Twitter at Xavier underscore Trish, T-R-I-C-H-E. And uh, busy, busy week, fellas. I mean, obviously, uh, we got a lot to talk about as far as the bowl games from last week, specifically the playoff games. Uh, we had a team that we did not expect to be into the natty, into the natty in Ohio State. Devontae Smith is the first wide receiver to win the Heisman since 1991. Uh, COVID issues wanted to move the game back. Uh, there's all kinds of stuff going on right now, Nick. So, I mean, where do we start here? Well, I mean, I think that uh, things are obviously slowing down a little bit. It's it's It seems like it's been a month since we last... Uh, spoke here. So we do have, you know, quite a few bowl games to, to kind of recap uh, some pretty interesting results. Uh, but yeah, I mean, absolutely. It seems like, you know, so much is going on. I was really happy to see Devonte Smith win. Uh, seems like the, the first time in a while. Uh, I mean, we've had some deserving quarterbacks, but, but to see the best player in college football, regardless of position, which is what the Heisman Trophy is supposed to be, actually win the award. It, it seems like it's been a little while. Uh, we've had some some really deserving players in, in the last decade or so uh, not get that opportunity. So it was great to see him uh, win that award. He absolutely, I believe, elevated the play of Mac Jones, his, uh, you know, production given the uh, really, uh, honestly, lack of depth that, at receiver that Alabama's had, not only with Jalen uh, Waddell being injured most of the year, but they lost you know, obviously two uh, elite wide receivers last year. And then just, you know, if, if we're scrolling through our FBS team profiles, we're used to a team, especially that recruits at the level that Alabama does and, and Alabama specifically to have a list of receivers, uh, you know, basically a mile long. And, and it's really, really short this year compared to what we've seen the last couple of years. So not only has Smith, uh, you know, done so much he's done it with a first year quarterback he's done it uh with uh, you know a, a lack of depth around him so that defenses are focusing on him and they still can't stop him and, and he's been completely dominant he was the best player in college football you know Kyle Trask had amazing numbers Mac Jones put up numbers that nobody I think uh, expected to see I believe Najee Harris was uh, probably deserving of, of being a finalist, even though he came up a little bit short. Uh, you know, who, who was the other finalist? Uh, who am I missing? Uh, Lawrence Fields. Okay, Trevor, no. Trevor Lawrence, yeah. The, yeah. The, uh, you know, one of the best players and you know, one of the best quarterbacks that we've seen in college football history. And I feel 
a, a little bit silly. I, I, I was smart on one hand that uh, that about a, um, what six weeks or so, I was able to, to pick up a couple of shares of Devontae Smith at 50 to one to win the Heisman, which, which was nice. But then I'm also an idiot because I hedged that, uh, cut it down to about 25 to one, uh, and picked the wrong guy to hedge with uh, because Trevor Lawrence finished second. I hedged with Mac Jones, so I was I was uh, I was I was doubly dumb to, to limit my uh, upside there. But uh, anyway, yeah. I, I mean, I was legit surprised that Lawrence was too, and not Mac Jones. And was it, it wasn't by a lot either. It was by what fifty seven points in, in the voting and all that stuff. And um, you know, I, it was funny. I was doing my uh, my radio show on Sports Grid, uh, recording it. it comes out on saturday and uh the welsh who i do all my itl stuff with too he said um where would you have put Devonte smith on alabama to win the heisman before the season started and i said fourth yeah I I said fourth. Fourth. yeah fourth. mac jones Najee harris jalen waddle and then i was uh, uh, i was a more excited about waddle for sure but and we so might have even put another running back ahead of him because <laughs> wide receivers just don't win this award. It's been 30 years, you know, uh, 1991 when Desmond Howard won it well before Xavier was born. So uh, we, we, we watched him return uh, kicks in, in, in the Super Bowl and win a Super Bowl MVP as well. So yes. uh, Xavier, were you, uh, I don't think it was surprising that Smith won. Um, but I think it was surprising that Lawrence was two and Mac Jones was three and that Kyle Trask really didn't get any run at all because I thought he had it up until the LSU game and that was fairly close to the end of the year. So, yeah, I, I definitely thought that Smith deserved it. I mean, he has torched every secondary known to man this year, uh, single coverage, double coverage. I mean, he's doing this. And I, and I think what adds to Devontae Smith's impressiveness is that we've seen some guys go for way better stats than what he has done. However, they, we haven't seen anybody around his height um, and, and his size. You know, with him being not 6'4", 225, like a Calvin Johnson or even a Michael Crabtree, I think more people thought what he was doing was more impressive because of that. Because he's smaller, he's slimmer, he's doing and, and he's doing it with what seems to be just God-given athleticism and not just and not God-given height or or size that people are kind of you know doing this and he's on the best team in the country. You know, like I said, I think with a Michael Crabtree and a Calvin and a Calvin Johnson, people were like, Well, he's big, he's supposed to do it. Devontae Smith is doing it and he's like maybe five, ten and a half, maybe. I know it says six feet on his depth chart. He's, not <laughs> he's nowhere near six feet. I've stood next to the guy. No, he's not six feet. Uh, but I like the is, photo of him standing on the sideline where he's just kind of like, you know, kind of yeah. just, just kind of hunched over. His, his socks look a little loose. He's just kind of like, yeah. Hmm. He just looks like <laughs> he looks like the, the sixth guy. He looks like a preferred walk on. Like, he doesn't look like the Heisman winner who's going to torch you for 200 big ones and two TDs. He looks like just an average kid, and I think that adds to his ability uh, and adds to his uh, excitement. Uh, Trask not getting a vote is, is ridiculous. I, I'm sorry. And Lawrence getting voted second also was ridiculous. Trask deserved to be one of the top three. I know his game against LSU wasn't a great one, but at the end of the day, he didn't throw the shoe. And his last memory – outside of the bowl game has to be him going toe to toe at Alabama. And for him to not even be in the top three was outrageous to me. Um, and for Lawrence to somehow be like pushed in the two. I don't know about that one. That just seems like a lot of hoopla, uh, but you know, cause he hasn't deserved that top two ranking since like week nine. So I'm sorry. 
Yeah, I saw, I saw some uh, some some you know after it was over because you're not supposed to release your your uh, ballot yeah. until it's official and and uh, there were a lot of folks that I saw or of the folks you know not a, not a ton actually but but a handful who said that they voted Lawrence number one and a lot of them uh, specifically you know mentioned that it was a little bit of a there there certainly was a career achievement portion to it, which we're not really supposed to do uh, for the Heisman, but it, it's part of the, you know, it's part of it. It, it happens. Uh, but then also his role in, in really kind of helping get the momentum going to actually get the season started, which, you know, is, is certainly, I guess, a point uh, for that. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's difficult for me to, to look, I guess, beyond one, just Devonte Smith was the best player this year. And right. Two, Lawrence missed a game and, and, uh, uh, missed yeah. two, didn't he? Was it two? Yeah, I might. Yeah, yeah, because I think uh, he missed the Boston College, Boston College game. Well. Too. Right, yeah, right, right, yeah. Right, right. You're right, um, you're right. And they started out bad in that game, but obviously yes. came back and won. But um, yeah, yeah. Look, I and I and I understand that. Look, 2020 is a weird year, so I understand people voting for Lawrence based on hey, he was one of the main parts of you know him and Fields were two of the main parts of getting this season on track and actually playing. But uh, the Heisman is an on-field award. It's not a what you did off-field. So, um, you know, we can all respect Trevor Lawrence. He's still going to be the number one pick in the draft. And absolutely be, great player, going to miss watching yeah. him on, on being Urban Meyer. Yeah, I won't miss him, Nick, because I also watch NFL football. I, I will be able to watch him. It's fine. <laughs> I catch a game every once in a while. <laughs> yeah, maybe. I mean, there's six games on this weekend. You could probably catch one. So, uh, got Some, a lot of playoff action. So, come on, Nick. Yeah, yeah, okay. come on, join. It's fun. It's fun. One, I promise. One game. Fun. One game. You don't have we'll anything see. else college football related. We'll one game. Sometimes watching college football can make the NFL look look like uh, watching paint dry, and uh, you know the Cotton Bowl is uh, proof in that. Oklahoma absolutely waxing Florida, fifty-five to twenty. Guys, uh, the other bowl games from uh, since we've done our last podcast, Wisconsin beat Wake Forest, forty-two to thirty-eight. Um, West Virginia over Army in the Liberty Bowl, 24-21. Ball State over San Jose State, 34-13. Mississippi State beat Tulsa, 28-26 in the Armed Forces Bowl. Um, Northwestern waxed uh, Auburn, 35-19. That was surprising in the Citrus Bowl. Uh, Georgia over Cincy by a hair, 24-21 in the Peach Bowl. Um, A&M beat North Carolina, 41-27 in the Orange Bowl. That was a fun game to watch. Fiesta Bowl, 34-17. Iowa State over Oregon. Ole Miss beat Indiana, 26-20. And Kentucky beat NC State, 23-21, Nick. So uh, any of those non-playoff games you want to talk about? Yeah, well, the, the Cotton Bowl got mixed, uh, sort of lost in the shuffle a little bit when we were recording last week. We we broke it down two weeks ago. And then, uh, you know, at the time, Florida was about a three-point favorite. We had a an expectation that they would be a little bit shorthanded on playmakers, but we, we kept finding out, you know, uh, Tony obviously wasn't uh, playing. Pitts wasn't playing. Uh, they were missing Grimes as well. And, and so uh, the, the, the number shifted dramatically. I think by the time it, it kicked off, Oklahoma was more than a touchdown favorite. And, you know, when we broke it down, talked about, uh, you know, I expressed my love for 2021 Oklahoma uh, and, and was really, really excited 
to watch this game. And, you know, the, the, the two teams that we expected to see square off obviously looked a little bit different. I uh, do not agree with Dan Mullen saying, oh, the last 2020, uh, you know, the, the 2020 team played its last game against Alabama. This was completely different. I don't, I don't quite buy that, but this wasn't Florida at full strength. I, I will obviously uh, admit to that, but uh, Oklahoma was, was, you know, uh, really, I think put a, a, a good foot forward. I'm a little bit disappointed that, that they, uh, a little bit disappointed that they won. We did, you know, get the uh, uh, against the spread that that counted as a win for us. So I'm happy about that. But uh, you know, Oklahoma's not going to sneak up on anybody now, and uh, they probably weren't before. Maybe I was, you know, anticipating a little too much, uh, thinking that oh, you know, people aren't going to put Oklahoma in the you know conversation to be number one or number two in, in the preseason, and, and so I was kind of looking ahead to. Uh, 2021 futures and thinking, okay, maybe if I, you know, if Oklahoma's in the five or six range, there's, there's definitely some value there. Uh, but, you know, everything I saw after this game, I, I saw a couple of, uh, you know, uh, posts to, to different websites about that maybe Oklahoma should be that preseason number one team. So they're not going to sneak up on anybody. It obviously depends on who uh, all ends up leaving for the NFL draft. And right now it looks like four, uh, players have, have announced uh, two on the offensive line and, and two in the secondary. So we'll have to see. There might be one or two more left, but really, really impressed with them. Florida is going to be uh, a, a much different team in in 2021. And, and uh, so, you know, they, they won't fall off uh, terribly. I, I think it's pretty safe to say they're probably going to be, uh, you know, ranked number two in the SEC East as far as our preseason projections go. Uh, but, you know, it, it's a, certainly a disappointing way for them to, to end getting uh, blown out in, in the season finale, regardless of what the, the actual roster looked like. So that was one I had a really close eye on. Uh, others, you know, the, the, the Georgia-Cincinnati game was, was really interesting. Uh, Georgia is a team uh, I've been pretty vocal on Twitter, and, and we'll get to this, I'm sure, eventually. I uh, think has a decent chance to be our preseason number one. They are losing a, a couple of more uh, players maybe than I expected. Uh, early to the NFL draft in the secondary, but uh, going to be a really, really strong team. And, and getting the news back that JT Daniels is, is going to return and that James Cook is going to return, uh, those are big. And, and uh, probably think it's it's basically even money depending on what happens with Alabama. I think those are probably the best chances to be number one. And then Oklahoma's going to be in the mix, you know, three or, or uh, uh, maybe as high as two, depending on what happens to Alabama. But Cincinnati played a, a solid game, looked really, really good early. But Georgia's, you know, strength on defense just sort of took over. Uh, some questionable clock management on, on both sides. But uh, overall, a, a strong game, a good performance. Uh, I was impressed with uh, JT Daniels throwing the deep ball. I think that's going to be something we're going to see a ton next year. Uh, he has, you know, got playmakers to work with, guys like George Pickens, Kyrus Jackson, Jermaine Burton has come on. Arian Smith had a uh, one of the fastest recruits in the 2020 cycle. Uh, hasn't played very much, but had a what 55 yarder uh, that he, you know, caught in the air basically, and, and he's going to be uh, a weapon as well. So really, really excited about Georgia next year. Um, 
and then you know the 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 Auburn game was a miss uh, for sure. Our our numbers didn't uh, see that one going that way. I, I tweeted out before the game uh, a few reasons why maybe you know we decided uh, not to bet it heavily. One because everybody should bet in in moderation if they choose to do so, but also. All the you know things going on with Auburn. They had players opting out. They had uh, some injuries. Some guys leaving early for the NFL. Uh, obviously, they fired Gus Malzahn. Have a, a transition there. Uh, but Northwestern was was pretty impressive and, and uh, looked uh, really pretty good on on offense. Something that they've struggled with most of the year. Uh, and then yeah, the the playoff it game made their whole season look better too. This game, I thought, beating Auburn. Yes, there was issues with Auburn, but they, they pounded Auburn and uh, you know, they, they were hanging in against Ohio state. Uh, they obviously lost the one against Michigan state, but it is a good squad. Northwestern is a good team. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think so. And, and uh, you know, we're playing really hard for uh, their defensive coordinator who is uh, retiring after I think 50 years. So, um, you know, good, good way to end for Northwestern. Uh, here at the end, the playoff games were not necessarily close, but I thought, you know, uh, really enjoyable. Alabama uh, was pretty dominant, probably could have won that game a lot bigger than they did. We were able to get a, a backdoor cover from Notre Dame there at the end that maybe we didn't deserve. But, you know, sometimes it, it works out that way. And then I, I felt, you know, pretty positive about Ohio State keeping it close. I did not see uh just a, a complete dominant performance and, and we were talking a little bit before we hit record about uh you know uh, Brett Venables is a very very well respected defensive coordinator mm-hmm. Clemson has a ton of talent to work with uh but this game they just got completely out coached outmanned looked like they weren't getting lined up on defense it was taking too long to get the call in maybe they were looking for uh you know too perfect of a call Richard Johnson of uh, formerly of, of SB Nation and Banner Society, who, who writes for you know other outlets out there, and, and you can see on SEC Network, a uh, really smart guy put together a, a, a thread of uh, some video of, of how Clemson was struggling to get lined up, get the call in, and, and does a good job, I think, of highlighting some of the issues that they had. But you know, uh, we told you last week, Ohio State, if we were only looking at talent, we would have had them as a about a touchdown favorite. And so that's why our projection was really, really close. And it shouldn't shock anybody that Ohio State won the game. It might be a little bit surprising that they won it as, as handily, as easily as they did. But it, it shouldn't shock anybody looking a little bit ahead to later in the show uh, if they beat Alabama. You know, I mean, this yeah. team is, is, according to our numbers, the most talented team is ranked number one in roster strength uh, overall, number one in roster strength on defense. So they're a worthy, uh, you know, capable team of, of winning the national championship worthy is a debate other people have had based on their uh, you know, the number of games they played, but they're certainly capable of winning it. And, and uh, you know, it, it'll be a good uh, championship matchup. We'll get into it a little bit more, but after that, I guys, I gotta be honest, I was a bit wiped out <laughs> to, you know, come back the next day and, and I watched the games uh, the Orange Bowl was, uh, you know, pretty exciting. Texas A&M pulled a, away at the end. Uh, Ole Miss hanging on and, and getting a win. Kentucky winning, but NC State, again, another fortunate backdoor cover for us. Uh, but, you know, close game, but, you know, didn't really seem like they were uh, really in danger of losing that one for most of it. But I was I was in a little bit of a haze after 
you know, kind of uh, three straight days of, of bowl games and, you know, the national championship or excuse me, the, the semifinals uh, taking a lot of energy out of me <laughs> watching those games. And uh, I haven't even mentioned Justin Fields. I mean, absolutely incredible performance. Yeah. Six touchdowns and looked like he got broken in half in the yeah. second quarter. So yeah. incredibly, incredibly uh, impressed by by his performance by Ohio State as a whole, and uh, looking forward to Monday for sure. Go ahead, Xavier. I know, I know you got stuff to say. Well, I mean, I know you know Scott. You didn't really like the Florida game. I loved every second of it. I mean, this was this is what us as Georgia fans were waiting for uh, for for Florida to get bludgeoned uh, by Oklahoma because you know. It's always fun watching your rivals say that they don't care about a game in which they get beat by get, get beat to sleep. Uh, you know, because when Georgia said it, when we lost to Texas a couple of years ago, we were just lying. Now, Dan Mullen, go ahead and run and say it. And all the Florida fans on Twitter are like, see, he's telling the truth. Yeah, okay, cool. Anyways, uh, moving on to the rest of the game from that weekend. I really, really enjoyed the Orange Bowl. I thought the Texas A&M North Carolina game was exactly what we thought we were going to get to offenses that could put up points uh, against two defenses whose secondaries aren't great, which we understood that was going to happen, and that big plays were going to be all over that game. Uh, I thought it was a really good showing from Sam Howell against an SEC defense, which only means his draft stock just went up from that game, which I really enjoyed from that point of view. Um, some of the other games that we'll touch on, obviously, Nick, Kentucky won. So, I mean. Hey, NC State covered. So take that. Yeah. Take that. Everybody's a winner. Yes. <laughs> take that. Um, but um, you know, Georgia pulling out a game versus Cincinnati, where I really love what I saw from Cincinnati. Um, I thought that they got too greedy at the end. I think that they honestly should have won this game, and they might have lost it. I think that going for the jugular and trying to throw a you know a touchdown pass and uh, on a trickish type play on what was fourth down on your side of the forty, I think it was or what well, just on uh, Georgia's side of the forty, which would have won the ball game if he makes the grab. I think it was a little bit of a you know a bad decision. I think you should have gone ahead, punted it, made Georgia go you know. 75 yards, which they had not been able to do consistently all game. And instead, you try to go for the jugular. I can't get mad at Fickle for doing it. This is a big game, big time moment. And if it wasn't for just blind faith from Tyreek Stevenson to make that play, who knows? Cincinnati runs away with that game, hits the football, and the game is over. Sorry to interrupt. I think that was a great call. I, I It didn't work out, obviously. But but it was uh, – Cincinnati did not – uh, do a great job of managing the clock right then. I think that yeah. particular play, the clock was running and, and the snap was at like, what, 14, 15 seconds, something like that. So they they had – it was a bit bumpy. But, yeah, I mean, if they had connected there, it uh, would have been yeah. a game winner. Uh, that's a bowl game. So, I mean, I don't blame Fickle for doing it. Go big or go home, you're in a bowl game, why not? Uh, so I don't blame him at all for the play call. Um, moving to the Northwestern Auburn game. It went pretty chalk for me. I didn't think Auburn belonged in the same field with Northwestern coming into the game, except for from a talent perspective. That's it. And, and even then, the talent for Auburn had not shown up all year. And I didn't think it was going to against a Northwestern defense that had to be coming in with some of the most confidence in the world. I mean, the day before, they watched a team that they held to 22 points go for 49 in the playoff game. And they're, you know, playing an Auburn team that's much less talented than what they saw in Ohio State literally uh, uh, two weeks ago. So from Northwestern, the only thing that I thought was going to be a hindrance to them was their offense. They played their butts off offensively, the defense putting them in really good field position. So that was really good. Um, now, and I and I wanted to ask you this question. 
Do you guys think we talked about this kind of sparingly after watching Iowa State playing Oregon? Do you think that most of Iowa State comes back? I know Brees Hall is probably the one going to the league, but you got to think they probably think they can go at this for they can make another run at this. And I know with the eligibility situation, they have the opportunity to do this. Do you think that they come back? And, and by they, I mean the big guys. We're talking about Purdy, Hall, and Kolar, I believe, can come out this well this year as well. Does he leave as well? So Hall's a sophomore, so he'll be back. Oh, okay. Uh, for sure. Brock Purdy, after the game, announced uh, that he was planning on coming back, so that's huge. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I think Kolar – I'll have to go back and look. He he might have been among those that said he was coming back too. I know I get him sometimes confused with the Utah tight end uh, Brent Keithy, and and uh, I know he said he was coming back. Maybe it was both. I don't I don't remember. Uh, but with uh, Hall coming back, Purdy coming back, both of those are hundred you know max one hundred rated players. Actually, Kolar's a hundred rated player as well. So if he chose uh, to come back, and he got a, a pretty embarrassing uh, clip of him coming across and on a motion right before. The snap where he just got completely lit up. Not that, that, not that that's going to you know tank his draft stock or anything, but uh, perhaps he's a little bit rougher around the edges than than you know uh, doing a, a little bit deeper dive. Maybe he's uh, a little overrated by our numbers, but anyway. But uh, you know all those guys. Yes, I, I think that they on the offensive side are coming back. Uh, Mike Rose, I believe, is coming back. Who's also a 100-rated player at linebacker, a junior. They are losing Jaquan Bailey, who uh, would be coming back if he were for a sixth season. So uh, he decided that that it was uh, in his best interest to, to go on. But, you know, they uh, – we talked about it a little bit last week. The depth isn't – you know, maybe what you would expect from a true playoff contender, national championship contender – but the frontline players and, and the amount of uh, production they've got, kind of how the uh, experience seems to be lining up, they don't have any se- – no, they have one, excuse me, senior on the offensive line. We'll have to see if Sean Foster comes back. Uh, two juniors were all conference, either first or second team, uh, Derek Schweiger and, and Colin Newell. Uh, Xavier Hutch- Hutchinson, the wide receiver, is a junior with all conference. So, yeah, I, th- I think – that maybe with the exception of Kolar, uh, basically your your big time guys seem to be coming back. I've already announced it. So I did do a thing on Twitter the other day. Uh, our friend Parker Fleming of, of uh, uh, Stats of War on on Twitter, uh, big college football analytics uh, person is is uh, really really smart. Put out a a list of his early kind of gut power rankings for next year. And, and I kind of worked through our uh, current numbers and I'm going through updating for 2020 and, and kind of trying to guess where our numbers would fall and, and not anything official, but sort of my best guess. And uh, Iowa State looks like a top five team, quite honestly. So they're going to be, uh, you know, right there in the mix with Oklahoma and, and really in the mix for a playoff team. If these guys do come back, where it sounds like most of them are. Your Descott, Iowa State and Oklahoma are going to be better than Texas next year. Nick said it. I, mean, I didn't. Not, to start. Uh, a lot can happen between now and then. But uh, It's not a hot take. That is a regular take. I they're mean, starting they're, from a good position. They're both better than Texas to begin. And uh, <laughs> speaking of which, let, that leads us right into this next uh, part here where uh, Texas – 
fired Tom Herman Sunday morning and later that day. I mean, it came out as soon as, you know, uh, they had fired Tom Herman, that Sark was the head coach. Then there was a little rumblings of maybe he's not, but he is. So, uh, Sarkeesian is going to be the new head coach at Texas. Look, you know, we talked about it last week. I was lukewarm on Tom Herman anyway. So right. uh, I, I wasn't surprised that he got fired, nor am I, you know, unbelievably upset or anything. It's fine. You know, uh, I, I'm i not surprised they moved on. But to, to give a program like this to Steve Sarkeesian, who has, you know, problems, issues, um, it's just a lot of pressure to put on this guy. And he's a, he's a great coach, obviously. We saw him turn around, you know, help turn around. Alabama's offense they were before he you know he got there and helped them out he was they were mainly you know run the ball and play defense and you know got uh, Devontae Smith won the Heisman this year and all that stuff but I don't know man I just it's a lot of pressure to put on a guy with known issues I feel like so I was a little surprised by the hiring but I'm not I'm not crazy against it I'm not rolling my eyes I'm not uh, you know upset at the hire it's fine I just, you know, now the guy has to go prove it to everybody. That's kind of where I'm at on this. I'm not angry about it. I'm not mad about it. I was surprised, uh, but I just don't know what to expect. What do you think we should expect as Texas fans, Nick? Well, what do you expect for Texas? Uh, well, first of all, I, the, just I guess the timing of everything really surprised me. And yeah. Uh, that was, uh, you know, just just did not expect to wake up on Sunday morning and, and see, especially, after, you know, we coached the bowl game. We're used to if a guy's going to get fired nine times out of ten, maybe even more now, it's going to happen before the bowl game. It's going to happen, uh, you know, before National Signing Day, if you can, uh, now at the early, you know, the, the early signing period. And obviously this year is – completely strange and, and our calendars are off for a, a wide range of reasons. So I shouldn't have been shocked that this happened, but it, it seemed like uh, that he had kind of made it through, you know, was able to, to uh, keep uh, Urban Meyer at bay. You know, he wasn't interested supposedly or, or what have you. There's another, you know, uh, and I, there's certainly an argument to be made that once it became so public that it seemed that Urban Meyer uh, could have the job if he wanted it. That you know, what's Tom Hardy? You, you kind of have to make a move yeah. at that point. The guy's uh, going to lose uh, credibility in a variety of ways, and and uh, the locker room. It sounds like you know might might not have been uh, really behind him. Maybe as much as is uh, certainly one would hope of a uh, uh, you know P five major program head coach, but. Uh, it, it's 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 interesting because one I was surprised at the timing, so it, I was a little cut off guard, and then it seemed like uh, two three minutes of seeing that he had been fired. Uh, reported, I believe it was Chip Brown uh, who, who uh, did the reporting, uh, was on top of it from the beginning that Sarkeesian was the guy. And on the surface, you know, you look at one of the legitimately i mean we, we talked about last year oh, this lsu offense might be the best of all time well alabama in 2019 was the second best offense of yep. all time by uh, a lot of metrics that that i look at and it's they're on pace for 2020 to be uh the best offense of all time so for him in the last two years to be basically the you know architect of, of two of the three greatest offenses we've seen 
uh, that's on paper uh, a pretty excellent uh, option to, to go to for a, a head coach. He has head coaching experience. He has experience in the NFL as a play caller. Uh, so on paper, it all adds up. You know, you mentioned that he has uh, certainly battled some some personal demons in the past. That's something that it, it by all indications so far from what we've heard from you know Nick Saban, from what we've heard uh, since he, he left USC, that uh, he, he, you know, is dealing with those in a, an appropriate way and, and hasn't had any issues whatsoever. Uh, but it's, of course, you know, if you're dealing with alcoholism, it's something that never goes away. So it's it's something that I'm sure he battles every day and will continue to. And uh, it's 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 going to be a thing that that is part of his life and, and part of this uh, job, certainly. Uh, but everything else lines up. And, and if, if he's got that in control, uh, then, you know, has the opportunity to be an absolutely home run hire. Uh, he's yeah. certainly, you know, since then, and he's, he's been in big jobs before Washington's pretty big job, USC, big job, uh, you know, in, in the NFL, there's a lot of spotlight on, on the play colors there as well. Uh, so, you know, he, he's, he's been in a position with a lot of bright lights on him, Alabama, you know, of course, being, being one of them as well. So, uh, it, it has, the makings of an absolute home run hire, but you know, Tom Herman looked like a home run hire too. So uh, we'll have to see how it all plays out. But uh, based on at least the last two years, man, it's going to be pretty exciting to see what he can do with guys like Bijan Robinson. Uh, yeah. you know, they've got a lot of talent at receiver. They're going to have to, you know, uh, plug some holes. We've got a new quarterback, Sam Ellinger uh, announced officially that he was moving on. So, uh, you know, have to figure out the quarterback position. Casey Thompson looked great in, in a brief appearance in the bowl game. But, uh, yeah, we'll see how the receiver uh, position shakes out and, and see if, you know, what the, the defense looks like. Because that, of course, has been a topic of conversation around here the last couple of years. So a lot to, to be seen, but on paper, looks like a great hire. Yeah, I mean, Xavier, I think losing Sam was more impactful to me than losing Tom Herman. and. Uh, that that's not what it should be with a head coach. So uh, that probably says exactly what you need to know about that situation. But your thoughts on Sark getting the Texas job? Yeah, maybe I just have a little bit of a sour taste in my mouth because he was, you know, the OC for the Falcons for a year and, and that went ah. uh, But, you know, I, I'm, I'm a little skeptical. Uh, we'll see how good of a coach he is. Uh, my only concern with him, once again, is that when you go to Alabama, you get the, the the rehabilitation of being at Alabama. You're still under Saban. You know you're you're still with you're still coaching the most talented kids in the country for the most part. And so you don't you're not going to get that when he goes to Texas. Is he going to get talented kids? Yes, but he's going to get the most talented kids in the country. No, with the best head coach in the country. No, with, with the best facility. He's not going to get the same kind of. Uh, he's not going to have the same abilities from that standpoint that he did at Alabama. And that's my only skepticism with him is we tend to not overhype is the wrong word, but maybe think a little too highly of coaches right out of Alabama. He's only was there for a year and some change. I'm not hundred percent sure if he's all the way there. Scott hit it right, right on the head. You know, he's got his personal demons that he has to deal with. What happens if things are going South at Texas? You know, there's, there's concerns here from a guy that literally, Two years, three years ago, maybe we thought was out of 
college football for good after another per, after another personal stint with alcohol. It was a possibility that he was gonna have to take some time off to go into rehab, and now three years later, he's taking a is taking a head coaching job at one of the most, if not right now, the most stressful job in college football. And I am not so sure if he's prepared for a position like that. I would have loved for him to stay maybe one or two more years at um, Alabama. Heck, even Kiffin was at Alabama for at least three years before he made the jump from Alabama to then Florida Atlantic after we saw what happened to him with Tennessee and USC. So I'm not so sure if Sarkeesian is is ready for a jump like that. For Sark, I love it for him. I think that this is a guy that has put in the work. He has the pedigree. He's He's been everywhere. You, you hit around the head, Nick. He's been at major big time universities. He's been in the league with, you know, the talent that he can literally say, I coach Julio Jones. So I know what I'm doing with you. So there's, I mean, there's things that he will be able to bring to that Texas program that has not been there in a while, especially coming from the, the NFL aspect. Uh, so I'm really excited for him. You're absolutely right. They've got to get the quarterback situation down. If Sam was coming back, I think the transition would be much easier. Well, yeah. But as of right now, I'm a little concerned, um, especially and what I'm hoping for is, is hoping that he gets an actual offseason because I would hate to see what his first year would look like if we have something similar to what we did in 2020 with a limited spring practice and no fall practice for the most part. You know, he needs time. He's going to need a full array of offseason workouts, spring and summer and fall to get these kids ready. Um, so I'm hoping he gets that. If he does, we'll have to see. Uh, he's has got he's got talented kids around him, so hopefully he can get that right. And this it'll be fun to see Texas good again consistently. So I would hope he gets the ship right. Yeah, I mean obviously that's I I you know he can put he can prove to everyone that he has put his you know personal demons behind him and that um, he is the guy for this job by going out there and winning with Texas. You know he he has he has the opportunity to do it now. So. Uh, it's just, it's a lot of pressure. And I think like everybody else, uh, I'm just a little fearful, uh, you know, not, not just for the program, but for him, you know, I, that there's a lot of pressure to put on himself here. So, uh, but you I'm glad. Say no, though, right? I mean, no, you know, Texas, no, Texas comes to you and, and, uh, you're you gotta take the shot offensive yeah. coordinator. You've, you've, uh, rehabilitated yourself and, and proved that you can perform at, at the highest level at your current position. And, you know, if a top five job in the in the country comes open and they say, "Hey, uh, we'll fire our guy if you uh, sign on the dotted line," but but <laughs> also I I will say this, you know, you you can't you can't say no to a job like that. But if Sark said no to it, I think everyone would have understood, right? Yeah, I mean, I I, I certainly would have had he can do whatever before. he can do whatever he, he thinks is best, and if he didn't think it was right. right. But I just say, I mean, for me, the you know, in my position, uh, so far removed from it, which is unfair, I guess, to to maybe even think about. But just like, man, Texas comes and says, "Hey, we want you to be our head football coach. You're going to make X amount of dollars." And yeah, whew, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Look, I it's know. it's not an opportunity you take lightly. That's absolutely true. I just think with what he's gone through, if he had said no, everyone would have been like, okay, that makes yeah. sense. You know, yeah. give him a couple more years at Bama or whatever, and he'll get a job, you know? And honestly, that's kind of how I thought it was going to be for him. Uh, like what Xavier was talking about with Kiffin, how he went to FAU and then, you know, back into the SEC at Ole Miss. I thought Sark was going to do uh, something along those lines, you know, slowly build up, the pressure on, on yourself, but 
you know, throw them into the fire. You got to take the opportunity when it comes to you. So you're absolutely right about that, Nick. Now, we did have one other uh, coaching move. We had a couple other coaching moves, but we'll get to more of them on the show next week after the national championship and everything. But Marshall uh, decision makers decided not to renew the contract of head coach Doc Holiday. Uh, he, you know, the, the, in 2020, uh, he was the coach, uh, conference USA coach of the year is 85 and 54 and won the 2014, uh, conference USA title. Um, but now Marshall and Boise state are the only open jobs, uh, as it stands right now. So Nick, what do you think? Uh, what do you think about Marshall not bringing back holiday? And, uh, who do we think are going to get these Marshall and Boise state jobs? Uh, this one's a, a weird one. I don't know if you guys read any of the, the sort of details behind it. One is his contract was up, which is a rarity in college football. Generally, yeah. uh, guys have the rollover contracts where they add another year, you know, and, and basically every, you know, major uh, college football job, uh, anybody who's even on the hot seat has a contract, you know, two or three years uh, with two or three years of room left on it. But there had been pressure from the governor of West Virginia uh, over multiple years that that he wanted Doc Holliday out of this job. And apparently uh, he had a role in this decision for them not to renew uh, the contract there, which is you know kind of ridiculous. I mean, I've heard a lot of the uh, behind the scenes stuff at, at Texas, a lot of power brokers and, and things like that. But the governor at least last I knew or had heard isn't involved there. So it seems to me that uh, Marshall has even more uh, political influence, which doesn't you sound think like governors have some, some other stuff to do right now. Right. Okay. Yeah. A little bit more important things going on right now, but, but uh, I mean, for me again, I mean, I just said, Hey, uh, if Texas comes and says, we want you to be our head coach, how can you say no? Well, you know, there's only 130 FBS jobs out there. Marshall is a pretty good G5 job if you're, a, uh, you know, a P5 coordinator looking for a, a next step up. If you are a, uh, you know, FCS head coach that's ready to, to make the next uh, step up the ladder, Marshall's a, a solid job. And, and Conference USA as a whole has some issues. It's, it's to me, uh, I, I shake my head every time I think about the fact that Marshall is in the same conference as UTEP. I mean, that's <laughs> as, as the travel is just ridiculous in, in a lot of instances and Marshall's on one of the extremes of that. Uh, but, you know, I mean, it's a pretty prestigious program where national champions at the FCS level uh, have been in conference title uh, hunt basically for, you know, the last couple of decades in a variety of conferences and, uh, holiday had success. Now, on the other hand, I, I will say, uh, the, the, what three game losing streak here at the end was pretty rough. And even some of the games that they won before that, you know, Marshall over the course of the season did not improve and perhaps regressed in, in a few key areas. So, this move did not shock me. I I had kind of forgotten a little bit about the governor's influence. So that was uh, kind of a, oh, yeah, I remember that. That's weird. Uh, but the actual, you know, when there, there had been some rumblings in the last couple of weeks that, oh, yeah, holidays contracts coming to an end. Marshall's not playing great right now, despite, you know, spending some time in the top 25 this year, despite 
you know, Conference USA Championship game, uh, some, you know, bowl games and, and whatnot. Uh, things were not necessarily trending in the right direction. So it wasn't a shock. It's a pretty good job. Be interested to see who takes it. Boise State, it sounds like uh, they are maybe getting a little bit closer uh, earlier today, uh, Thursday. There seemed to be an indication that they were meeting with uh, the head coach at Montana State, who's had some success there, would be kind of an interesting thing. Now that Kellen uh, Moore has apparently uh, removed himself from from consideration, it sounds like Andy Avalos, the defensive coordinator at Oregon, is still in the mix, was kind of that top candidate, you know, either 1 or 1A, one uh, with Kellen Moore uh, basically from the onset. But then Jeff Choate uh, is uh, in the mix and, and might now have moved to the front of that, uh, you know, the, the wish list maybe for the new athletic director there. And it sounds like Brian Johnson, the offensive coordinator at Florida, uh, is also in the mix, played at Utah and, and has some experience out West. So uh, would be a, a good fit there as well. So these are good G5 jobs and, and programs that can win have obviously a, a lot of history winning. So uh, certainly intrigued to see who gets there. It sounds like maybe we'll get a couple of uh, first-time FBS head coaches and uh, that's, you know, always interesting to see some, some new blood at, at some uh, uh, relatively, you know, big jobs for the level uh, of conference that they are. Xavier, your thought on this Marshall and uh, Boise State jobs? Yeah, so the, 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 the Doc Holliday situation reminds me too eerily of uh, what happened to Mark Rick. Not necessarily from the contract situation, but people felt, and just reading up on what happened, people just felt like Doc Holliday could have done more. And, and he just continued to fall short. And that, you know, uh, I saw I was reading in an article that they had a shootout loss a couple of years ago that ruined the perfect season. And, and that they just never could get to the heights that people thought that they probably should have been. And it sounds a little too eerily similar to what happened at Rick and Georgia, uh, happened to Rick at Georgia, which is they just didn't feel like they could get over the, you know, the proverbial hump that, you know, was that they thought they had. And what I've heard from a lot of rumblings, kind of funny that, you know, Nick brought up Kellen Moore because a lot of people want Byron Leftwich to come back to uh, Marshall and, and coach there. Obviously, you know, uh, Byron Leftwich has started to earn his coaching stripes throughout college football, obviously in the pro level as well. Uh, he spent three years at Marshall as a quarterback. I mean, this is a guy who I think that would be a fun option. Uh, just like we talked a couple of weeks ago about go about Kellen Moore coming back to Boise State. It'd be great to see Byron Leftwich, you know, come to back to his alma mater and coach. He said right now he's just focused on coaching. Uh, he's obviously Tampa Bay has a you know, playoff game on uh, this weekend coming up, so he's just focused on that right now. But for for the MAC uh, most valuable player to come back and coach his alma mater, that would be just be really good. I think it'd be really good for recruiting. I mean, I just think it would be really good in general uh, for that. So that's really the their dream hire. I haven't heard any other real names come to the fold, but that's the one I've heard the most. Um, as far as Boise State's concerned, anybody who gets the Boise State job. At this point, it's, it's, I almost feel like getting the Boise State job is uh, kind of a, a formality that we're going to win at least nine games a year, and that is kind of their calling card right now. So whoever comes into the Boise State job, kind of how we talked about last year with Taggart taking over Florida Florida Atlantic, just don't mess it up. Uh, right. It's such a good situation over there from a recruiting standpoint. You're the biggest school in that – maybe in that region – uh, uh, to be honest with you, uh, that, you know, at least naming wise. And so I think that once whoever gets the job there just continues the line and the lineage that has come before them and continues to win at a high level and they continue to do that, they'll be fine. Uh, all right. Well, look, before we get into the national title game, 
you know, Nick, what are we looking at for 2021? I know you're making some changes. Uh, do you want to share those with us? And do we have any indication of, uh, you know, the the early rankings as far as CFB winning edge goes for 2021? So I am uh, right before we we uh, got on here. I, I had just done uh, the Notre Dame updates for the uh, production points, which uh, was the the final uh, Power Five uh, conference team. So I, once we wrap up here, I'll start on uh, the uh, FCS, the other FCS independents, and then you know uh, head down to the the uh, G five programs. But I'm I'm uh, updating all those production which do a pretty good job of, of keeping up with those more so honestly on the offensive side of the ball, because it's easier to, to read a box score each week and look and say, okay, this guy got, uh, you know, hit that, that yardage mark and, and did this or that. It's, it's a little bit easier to, to keep those really up to date uh, on the offensive side, try to do it when we can on uh, defense if a player has a, a big game or whatnot, but it really is a much more detailed and, and thorough process on the defensive side of the ball once the season is over, because I do a variety of things uh, to every, in the past, production points were uh, something I came up with just with, you know, guys hit certain statistical benchmarks. Right. Originally, it was like a 300-yard passing game, a 100-yard receiving game, things like that. Once I started getting into the process of, you know, now we've gone through three full seasons, I'm starting to see, okay, this mark was, uh, you know, doesn't quite capture what I'm going for. This one's maybe a little too tough. This one's maybe a little too easy. Like originally I had 25 tackles was one point. That's just too easy. Now it's it's got to be every 50 tackles. And, and even that tackles are not – you know, not all that predictive. It's just sort of a little bit more of a, uh, or not, don't really show quality. It's just more of a, 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 a playing time yeah. kind of thing. So, uh, so now I've, I've evolved a little bit, got more aggressive in uh, the production points uh, this year offensively. And I think that was part of our success because we have had uh, a really, really good year, quite honestly. And, and what's been a very difficult year, I know for a lot of uh, people out there who, who make projections, who have, you know, computer-based uh, projection systems, people who are trying to just, you know, keep up with their own, uh, you know, eye test and, and how they're watching and things like that. So I, I feel like we've made some good improvements on that. Uh, this year we've added in uh, because uh, PFF is is uh, now, you know, publicly available and, and all of that. Uh, we are a, a subscriber there and, and uh, we do not reproduce or, or, you know, reprint their, you know, specific uh, grades or, or anything like that uh, because, you know, that's just not, not a good thing to do in my opinion, right. uh, but, but we do take those into account. And, and so, you know, I've been going through and say, okay, Hey, this guy got a 90 plus uh, defensive grade. Maybe that's worth four production points. This guy uh, got a 75. Maybe that's just worth two points. And, and then, you know, I'm able to, to go in and add some things like that. Uh, I've gotten away a little bit from things like sacks as accounting uh, stat is not necessarily a, a great show of actual production. Uh, PFF does, has thing, uh, you know, does a really really good job of of tallying up all pressures. So use that a little bit more. If a guy has ten pressures, 
bat equals a point. They have a, a, a column for stops, which are, are pretty good. Uh, so, you know, 10 stops equals a point. So being being a little bit more aggressive in, in using some of that information, adapting it to our system. And, and so far, going through basically having the, the P5 now wrapped up, liking what I'm seeing. Uh, I, I will have updated uh, final rankings next week, it looks like, once I get through all those production points, uh, do our final run of team performance ratings after the uh, national championship game. So that'll be finalized. Uh, our 2020 FBS team profiles will be done. All, all uh, per, you know, personnel moves, guys going into the portal, guys uh, moving to a new team, all that will be done February 1st. And then uh, our 2021 FBS team profiles, basically the whole month of February, I'm going to be updating everything for 2021 and and on or before uh, March 2021, we'll have those FBS team profiles available to all of our patrons. So uh, really, really excited about that. I think we're going to be able to uh, move a lot quicker on that than we have in years past. We've gotten quicker and quicker each year. And this year, March 1st, having that basically ready to go uh, with only, you know, updates on transfers and injuries and things like that as they happen. Really excited about that. And, uh, you know, you heard at the, the front of the show, the, the read that we do, that we now have annual subscriptions uh, on Patreon. That's really, really important. If, you, if you're if you interested in supporting this show, if you're interested in supporting the work that we do, uh, joining us with an annual subscription so that we actually get you know, I don't necessarily say, hey, give us money so explicitly. <laughs> uh, but right now in, in January and in February, you're probably going to hear me say a little bit more, hey, it'd be great if we could have this money because uh, what we can do is take that and uh, we've got some freelancers that we've worked with in the past that are, do great work for us, help us speed things up, help us make updates to, to our returning production numbers, uh, making sure we've got all you know new recruits in and, and all of that. It, it takes some man hours. Everything we do is is by hand. Unfortunately, on one hand, on the other hand, we, we you know it's 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 good too because. Uh, you know, we kind of learn as we're doing it, but, uh, but anyway, an annual subscription would really, really help get this stuff done as quickly as possible. I mean, it, it's possible if we get a few more, uh, annual subscriptions, I can, I can kind of get the team together to, uh, have this done middle of February and maybe even as early as, uh, you know, a week after national signing day. So would be really, really excited if we could do that. Uh, but yeah, we're, we're making updates, being more aggressive in, in the way we're doing production numbers. Uh, and and it's, been, it's paid off this year. And I think it's going to be even better for 2021. And as, you know, making these updates, it'll be able to see who's leaving, who's coming, who's going. I mentioned, I think Georgia might be number one. Alabama's going to be in the mix. Oklahoma's going to be in the mix. Uh, those are teams that I personally will target in uh, 2021 futures. If the if the prices are right, uh, but yeah, I'm I'm excited to get to 2021 uh, so that we can start to get an early look at, at who those uh, best teams are going to be, or, or at least who we project them to be, and then you know see maybe who are some of the unexpected surprises, some you know new faces and new places uh, because there are so many people in the transfer portal. That's going to be a big topic of conversation in the weeks ahead. Uh, but yeah, it's it's an exciting time getting wrapped up 2020, and it's it's going to be really really soon here uh, that yeah. we'll be able to to kind of hit you know on the on the Google Sheets hit 
create new, you know, copy this and, and then start update, updating everything for 2021. Uh, January and February is going to be uh, pretty, pretty packed with, uh, with all of that. So excited and looking forward to it. Starting a new sheet for a new year is a nerd benchmarker. That, yes. that is uh, for sure something that uh, I am very, very familiar with doing all the sports over at ITL, obviously, uh, you know, football, baseball, basketball, college football, minor league baseball, all that good stuff. So, yeah, starting a new sheet is a big deal in the uh, the, the lifeblood of creating, uh, you know, what, what kind of things that we create. So um, looking forward to that for you, Nick, for sure. But let's let's get to the national title game. And before we get there, why don't you tell us how we look during the bowl season? Uh, how do we look? And specifically, how do we look over the last, uh, you know, uh, since the last show, a bunch of bowls were played? Yeah, we had 12 uh, bowl games since we last recorded. Um, we, you know, bowl season, kind of the way that we do things, the production points, uh, the individual player ratings, taking into account injuries, opt-outs, the best we can. We can't capture everything, especially if we just hear news, you know, 10 minutes before kickoff that the guy uh, is not in, you know, not in uh, shoulder pads or, or what have you. But we do a, a better job, I think, than most of, of staying on top of those individual things. And it's really, really paid off. Bowl season, we are over 60% against the spread uh, for the last three years combined. Going into the national championship game, we're on at sixty uh, percent on the dot. We're fifteen and ten against the spread this year. We are only fourteen eleven straight up, so that's a little bit tricky. Underdogs are uh, often, you know, pretty valuable uh, this time of the year. But uh, you know, our totals this year have been uh, really very good. I mentioned in the last show that we were, I think, three and ten on totals in bowl season, which I was uh, getting a little. Uh, distraught about, but you know, since then we're eight and four, so we're up to 11 and four on totals. We basically, yeah, we've, we've almost guaranteed a winning bowl season across both, uh, regardless, and uh, throw in some seven to one Alabama futures for the national championship and a, uh, a, a pick, maybe, maybe a little bit on the other side as we get into this. And, and we have a, a pretty good bowl season coming up, I think. So, uh, all three agree seven and five in bowl games. Uh, we are at 56.6% when that happens for the full season. Feel great about that and feel really great about where we've been to this point. Again, one game to go, uh, but we are 54.1% on our official projection model for uh, you know all picks against the spread, all FBS games, and uh, we are 54.9% on totals this year. So honestly, I, I couldn't be more excited about that. 55% is a, a goal, a uh, pretty lofty goal, honestly, but uh, we are knocking on the door of that this year. And I think some of the improvements we're making uh, looking ahead to 2021, we have a great opportunity setting ourselves up uh, for success next year as well. I'm, I'm excited for it. And I can't wait to see those numbers uh, for 2021. Very, very excited for it. Uh, and excited to get a, a new year uh, with a new coach and all that stuff going for Texas, too. So I'm going to be pumped for this college football season coming up. But we got one more to go here. Ohio State versus Alabama. Alabama is an eight-point favorite as it stands right now. The uh, And that has moved down. It was eight and a half when I looked yesterday. And the over-under has actually trended up. It was 74 and a half when I saw it yesterday, 75 
and a half today as we record this on a Thursday. Uh, Nick, I mean, dive right in, man. How, how, do, how are we looking on this game and who do we expect to win by how many points and all that good stuff? Uh, well, you know, I mean, there are a lot of uh, a lot of previews out there. Everybody has has given every angle of this. Uh, I'm sure that you've heard. I'm not sure that I will say anything, honestly, that that's uh, going to be terribly new and different. These are arguably the two most talented teams in college football. I mentioned that Ohio State is number one in our roster strength ratings and number one in defensive roster strength, but Alabama is number two overall. So uh, these are, and as far as our numbers go, and we just talked about our numbers are, are pretty good, you know, not, not, uh, don't toot our horn too much, but uh, they've been pretty good. And, and hey, these, these are the two most talented teams in college football. We talked about Steve Sarkeesian, Alabama's, this is one of the best offenses of all time. Uh, that is absolutely a factor. Alabama just won the Joe Moore Award for the best offensive line in college football. They've got Landon Dickerson out, unfortunately, uh, the All-American. But, uh, you know, they're still, even even with him taken out of our FBS team profiles, they rank number one in our offensive line strength metric. So that's, that's very important. Uh, Alabama has averaged 4.34 uh, points per drive. That is the best in the country. Those are adjusted for garbage time, according to uh, Brian Fremu, who does uh, great analytical work on his uh, w- uh, website and, and is part of the F-plus uh, metric that's at, at Football Outsiders. Um, you know, uh, Alabama, uh, I, I, again, our, our friend uh, Parker, who's got a website, CFD Graphs, uh, dot com. I, I noticed that Alabama leads the nation with a 54.5% success rate. Not only is that the best in the country this year, it is the highest uh, of the CFP era, so the college football playoff era. Uh, so Alabama, you know, as far as offense, is, is across the board basically unstoppable. Has been all year. Devontae Smith, Mac Jones has been excellent. Najee Harris uh, looks like the best running back in college football, best offensive line in college football. It's going to be really, really difficult for them to stop. Ohio State has the talent to do it. They have uh, created a lot of turnovers. Uh, They have 18 takeaways on defense, which uh, is more than any other team in the country who has played eight or fewer games. Uh, so that, that's certainly something they've been able to turn teams over, even if the, you know, past defense has been a little bit shaky, even if some of the traditional stats are not, uh, quite what we are used to for Ohio. They made, they made Clemson look pedestrian. They, they, they did. Were, after those first couple scripted drives and, you know, a lot of people lended credit to Tony Elliott, um, not being there for Clemson, uh, as to why Clemson's offense was a rolling, but you have to give credit to the defense too for Ohio State. Uh, they play great and, and uh, they are, um, I don't want to say better than advertised because they're advertised pretty well, but better than expected, I think, as far as results go for sure. Yeah, and, and we we failed to mention that, but there were some good points made that Tony Elliott, uh, you know, that that first drive, Clemson looked great. And, you know, so maybe those were the plays that he had scripted. And then once they actually, you know, got into the, the, the uh, flow of the game and had to rely on the other play callers and what they were seeing in their feel, maybe that's when things started to turn a little south. I think maybe, you know, his, his uh, not being there might be a little bit 
uh, overemphasized, but you know, there, there's, there's certainly points to be made, but, uh, but Ohio state, Hey, they're, they're, they've got great players. They've got a great pass rush. Absolutely. The numbers, uh, you know, I was talking about those pressure numbers, uh, they're off the charts, but Alabama for their, you know, imperfections on defense they, they've had some uh good games last game against notre dame played really really well most of most of it but then you know florida make it made them look uh pretty bad the week before and ohio state from a playmaker perspective has a lot more to work with looks a lot more like florida than they do notre dame i mean they've got speed at receiver they've got trey sermon who we were talking about before we started to record who has been uh, about as hot as any running back in, in you know the last couple of games of the season as, as I remember, and you know stock, draft stock through the roof looks incredibly athletic. Has always had a, an athletic skill set, but uh, the last couple of years, kind of the touches weren't really there. But he's getting those touches now and absolutely uh, capitalizing. So, you know, it's going to be a great game. We we don't have a a super strong edge one way or the other. This does technically fall into the all three agree category, but it, it's by a pretty small margin. Uh, we have Alabama favored in our stats only model, which has been uh, very, very good. Basically the same performance as our, our official projection model now has Alabama favored by about six. Ohio State, I mentioned they do have a, a, a slight, very slight edge in overall talent. That's almost 50-50, but Alabama, or excuse me, Ohio State actually uh, has the talent edge of about one point. Uh, and we mentioned against Clemson, they were, you know, seven points more talented. So that's kind of an interesting thing there that, that Ohio State actually has the talent edge in both of these uh, games. But then our official projection is uh, just under seven. Alabama favored, but Ohio State uh, expected to cover. Similar to what I said against Clemson, I think I would prefer to be on the side of Ohio State plus eight. Um, that's where it was when we officially released that to our patrons last week. Uh, you know, we do have it as a, a good bit lower scoring game, not necessarily a defensive slugfest by any stretch, but we've mentioned before that our stats only model, you know, totals over 70. We're going to be under 100% of the time. That's an off-season project to, to get that figured out, but we're on the under. We, we have Alabama winning the game 34-27. to 27. Might be a little bit higher scoring than that. Uh, certainly could see scenarios where Ohio State wins the game outright. Certainly could see scenarios where Alabama wins by multiple scores. I don't have a great feel for it other than that, but I, I will say that uh, going into it, I'm glad, I think, to be on Ohio State plus eight. And also glad, going back to our earlier conversations, uh, that in January of 2020, got Alabama at seven uh, to one to win the national championship. So uh, it's kind of, you know, kind of, kind of, that's why I, I'm so concerned this time of year. Hey, what's 2021 look like? Because the prices are a lot better uh, at that point, or can be, can be, show some value. Uh, but anyway, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, uh, we're, we're, I think sitting relatively pretty, uh, don't have a huge opinion one way or the other. Uh, but we are, are happy to be on Alabama, uh, to win the national championship outright, but also happy to be on Ohio state plus eight in the game itself. And on the under, we show a little bit of value 
that model's been good to us, even though we knew it was going to happen this way. Uh, but 34-27 is what, what the official projection is. Yeah, I mean, the under is something I look at and go, how can how can this how can this go over? Like, I, I understand uh, both these offenses are good, but I think the defenses are too strong to go over this number. Xavier, how do you see this game playing out? I would love to say you're right, Scott, but I just can't say that these defenses are amazing and are good enough to hold them under. Uh, I, I would bet the under. Not just even Alabama with a banged up Justin Fields. I mean, no, no, okay. They gave up 44 to to two players on Florida. No, uh, no, I, I don't, I don't, I don't think, I don't think so. I, I think that when you look at this game, I would bet the under just because law of averages would tell you that scoring that much in a national championship game with two weeks to prepare, you would expect a team not to get, you know, obliterated defensively. However, I would not be surprised in the slightest if this final score was like 45, 48. I would not in the slightest be surprised whatsoever because these offenses are so potent on Ohio state. I guess they were listening to us at the beginning of the year because they've learned how to run the football. Uh, they, they, they struggled at the beginning of the year with, uh, with Master Teague and not being able to get short yardage. And this was a, we, we were concerned weeks one and two with them not being able to do that consistently. Now they're running the ball like it's for fun. Trey Sermons has had, I think he's rushed for what, almost 500 yards out of the, like, the last two games or like 400 and some change. It's, it's it's ridiculous. The last two games he has he has had, and his just draft stock just continues to rise throughout through, you know through the roof. From from a Justin Fields perspective, is he going to be playing hurt? Yes. Will he feel that pain if he gets hit? Yes. But that's the biggest thing is how does Alabama play it? Do they decide to go after Justin Fields and make the ball make uh, make him get the ball out of his hands and press these corners uh, these receivers on the outside? who are young outside of Olave and make them beat their corners one-on-one. I think that's exactly what Bama's going to do, which is why I'm going to pick them in this game. I think Justin Fields being hurt is going to make him reluctant to want to run. Uh, he will do it. Now, now, don't get me wrong. He's going to run in, in, in the B, but I think it's going to make him a little less willing uh, to run, you know, maybe when the play isn't there uh, instead of just eating it. And I think that's what you're going to see from, from uh, Alabama. They're going to pack the box. They're going to put seven in there, and they're going to play cover one. And they're going to make those young receivers from Ohio State win, and they're not going to let Trey Sermons or Justin Fields beat them with their legs. And I really think that that's what they're going to do. Uh, I think Alabama, from an offensive perspective, is just going to continue to do what they do. They're going to run the football. Um, do we? Landon Dickerson's out indefinitely, correct? Just making sure. Okay, cool. So, we, so we know from an offensive perspective that they're going to be pretty much the same what they had last game. We have heard nothing about Jalen Waddle playing in this game. I don't think it's going to happen. I know it was in rumblings that I thought the possibility was there, uh, but I don't think Jalen Waddle is going to be available for this ball game. I'm pretty sure. Uh, so Alabama is going to come out and practice. He's practiced, but yeah, I mean, yeah. so did Richard LeCount played one game and he played one play. Right. Yeah, it sounds kind of like that. If he can yeah. play, mm-hmm. it probably won't be much. Yeah, so I, I don't see him them possibly jeopardizing the kid's future for one game in the national championship where they've gotten this far without him. Um, I, from my Alabama's perspective, the one thing I would like to see, and this is what I think Ohio State will, will really try to lean on, is getting pressure on Mac Jones. The last time that we saw people get consistent pressure on Mac Jones was the Iron Bowl last year. And I think that, that and I think we saw in that game, Mac Jones has a tendency to be to have one read and one read only. And that'd be Devontae Smith. And, and, and if you can get him off of his spot, 
He's, we'll see how good he is. And I think you're going to see a concerted effort from Ohio State to get pressure on him. We saw it against Trevor Lawrence pass, uh, in this past game where they were like, all right, Trevor, you're not beating us by just sitting in the pocket and getting comfortable. And I want to see what Matt Jones can do in that same situation. To counter that, I think Alabama will come out with heavy run. I think you're going to see a huge dose of Najee Harris in this ballgame. Uh, this is a team that can beat you on the ground, and I think that they're going to try to do that early on and, and make and get those linebackers to creep up. Then you'll see Devontae Smith. Then you'll see Michi in behind making plays uh, when the coverage is now one-on-one -on -one because Najee Harris has gashed him to begin this game. I've got Alabama winning this ball game. I think there's going to be something to be said about the height of Alabama's corners in this ball game. There is no mismatch. There is no size mismatch in this ball game. And Justin Fields is a noted 50-50 thrower. There is no 50-50 in this game. It's like 60-40 to all of the, the the freakishly big corners that Alabama just struts out there that three years ago would have been playing linebacker. Uh, you know, and, and so I think you're going to see Alabama's defense is just too much. So I'm going to go with Alabama here to win this ball game. I'm going to say 38-23. 38-23. Yeah. I think I think Alabama pulls away, maybe scores a late garbage touchdown uh, when Ohio State's trying to do anything they can to get the ball back, a bad beat type situation, and they do it. You're significantly under at 38-23. Yeah, so I am. I like I'm going safe, but don't be surprised if they go over. I would not be surprised. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I'm not going to sit here and tell you it's not in the realm of possibilities. I just think that when you look at this line in the over, that mm -hmm. the taking the under is the safest bet uh, of doing anything in this game, I feel like. So yeah. outside of Alabama straight up, and that's not going to pay you very much. So, um, you know, uh, I and look, Ohio, on a scale of 1 to 10, Nick, how shocked are you going to be if Ohio State wins this game? Not. Nah. I mean, so like a two, one or two? Yeah, I mean, I, I I don't expect them to win, but they are talented enough to win. And and this is actually, I was I was just about to bring this up. I, I've got a, a a list of of uh, uh, kind of questions and criteria that I often look to when when I get a little bit of time to really dig into a game. It, it doesn't happen as much as I would like during the course of a season when we're trying to get uh, projections up for, for all 127 teams this year. But, uh, you know, one, one of those, those very first questions kind of on a sheet that I'm going down says, you know, uh, play devil's advocate, how or why can the underdog win? And, and so I was going to put that question to you guys answering it first myself is talent on hand. There is not, a one, a, a major talent edge that Alabama has over almost every team in college football would be a, a touchdown or more favorite uh, just based on pure, pure talent. The only two that really come close are Ohio State, who is basically a, a virtual tie or maybe a little bit ahead by our numbers, or Clemson. I mean, they were, they were, uh, had a talent edge, a big talent edge against Notre Dame last week. And, and, you know, not a not a, a lot of others would be within uh, single digits. So that's that is is uh, you know the one thing Ohio State can match up from an athleticism standpoint, from a size standpoint on you know the lines of scrimmage, things like that. So so then it is you know uh, from from that point, what's it going to be schematically, and 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 we're going to have to see. Uh, and Xavier, I think you mentioned this. I mean, you know, the, it, it's going to 
involve Devontae Smith. It, it's going to involve uh, making a big step forward uh, in the way you defend the pass. Sean Wade, you know, we thought was going to be uh, a far and away uh, a surefire first round draft pick. Well, his, you know, he's taken a hit this year. He has not looked good at times. He's been abused by receivers on, on a couple of occasions. And, uh, you know, he, he came out this week on Twitter and, uh, you know, uh, there was some, you know, somebody asked, who do you want to line up with, uh, or line up against? He said, you know, you know, the Heisman winner. And based on what we saw last, uh, last time out, that, that seems to be advantage Alabama. So it's, it's going to have to be, how is Ohio State going to take a step forward? They're going to have to get pressure on the passer, something that that teams haven't done a very good job of so far this year. They're going to have to, uh, you know, Mac Jones doesn't look like a first-year starter anymore, uh, but they're going to have to uh, try, you know, they're they're going to have to turn him into somebody that looks like a first-year starter. They're going to have to uh, be able to, you know, uh, take advantage of that lack of depth at the Alabama receiver core that we mentioned. You you said John Mechie. He's got to step up, I think, probably. Uh, they've got a playmaker at tight end, Jalel Billingsley, who's one of the one of the more interesting uh, athletic tight ends in the country. Not huge, but he's a guy that's athletic enough that he returns kicks uh, at Alabama, of all places. So, uh, you know, they, they've got some interesting uh, pieces that they do. They're one of the best teams in the country as far as, uh, using pre-snap motion and shifts to get matchup advantages. Is, is Ohio State going to be able to get properly lined up? Are they going to be able to use their talent advantage and, and not get, uh, you know, in a, in a bad situation from a matchup standpoint? So, you know, it, it's, it's difficult for me other than just pure talent. Just if, you know, could Justin Fields take over this game again? Yeah, maybe. Could Ohio State rely on a deeper set of receivers and offensive playmakers? Alabama's got elite, elite playmakers, but the depth is not quite as much as Ohio State. Will that be a factor? I'm I'm struggling to come up with a a surefire reason as to how Ohio State wins this game. So I'm I'm not, you know, I, I don't have any real faith in saying, oh, yeah, you know, give give me the Buckeyes outright to win it. But you asked how shocked would I be, basically because they are almost, if not, uh, you know, slightly more talented than Alabama. Uh, I would not be shocked. It's just difficult for me to to see exactly how it will play out. Uh, Xavier, how, how do, scale of one to ten? How surprising if Ohio State does win this game, and how do they do it if they do? Originally coming in, I would have said probably a two like Nick. But honestly, thinking about Justin Fields' injuries, probably more of a four or five. Um, this is this is a guy who's going to be playing with broken ribs. Like there is no if ands or buts about it. Those ribs are not going to be healed by game time. He is going to be playing on we'll just call him drugs. Uh, but I mean, he's going to be play, you know he's not going to be a hundred percent. And that in, in itself, if he's able to will himself to what, and it's on his throwing side too. I, you know. We all breathe, you know, and it's one thing to be able to breathe normally after running for 60 yards. It's another thing to be able to breathe with a cracked rib on your throwing side. And every time you do this, it feels like it's being stabbed into your abdomen, you know. And so I would be more surprised due to Justin Fields' injury concerns because of the fact that I don't think 
he'll want to run the football as much. Um, even against Clemson, you saw his ability to pass the ball wasn't hindered much at all. But he did not want to run the football much at, at all in that game, and he didn't have to because Trey Sermons was doing the bulk of the carrying and obviously because of the score of the game. I think that's a little, but that takes a little bit away from his dynamicism. And I think Alabama knows that. And I think Alabama is going to force him to have to run in some of these situations. And, you know, after, you know, one or two hits, okay, five or six, how is he going to perform? And so I think that that's where the surprise would be for me due to Justin Fields' injury concerns um, and his uh, his lack of ability or his lack of willingness to run with that injury. Uh, other than that, I think Alabama has the more talented team, and I think they've shown us the different ways in which they can win games. You know, they've shown us they can win a shootout. They've shown us that they can literally play zero defense and win a ball game. Uh, you know, against Florida, uh, against one of the best offensive teams in the country. From a from an Ohio State team, have we seen their ability to win a game yet this year where they start slow against a good offense? And that's the issue. It's one thing to start slow against Northwestern, but they have had times this year where they started slow. And they've been able to, you know, ride the wave and get back into, you know, Ohio State football. But are they going to be allowed to do that if they have a slow first quarter against Alabama? Even against Clemson, they started slow. You know, Clemson went right down the field like it was nobody's business. And that concerns me that if Alabama starts fast and gets out to a 14-7 to lead, is that it? Is that ball game? Can we see Ohio State come back from a game like that, like they did against Clemson last week? I'm not so sure against a team as talented as Alabama is and as well coached as Alabama is. Oh man, I can't I can't wait for it. And uh I mean, hopefully we're going to get it on time. It looks like we are uh, at this point, but uh there was a little bit of question uh you know mid midway through the week as to whether this game was going to get postponed or not. But looks like everything is all systems go as far as it goes now. But uh anything else Nick before we get out of here or um is that it? We're calling Ohio State against the spread, Alabama to win, and playing the under. Correct? Uh yeah. I mean, that's that's what we've got. And and you know, I I sometimes you know, in a situation like this, on, on the one hand, I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, Ohio State. All three agree those have been good. I'm so excited about that. But uh, I also feel like I I'm just excited to watch the game, and that's. Yeah, uh, that's a good place, I think, for for me to be, especially in the national championship game. To uh, hopefully end this season on a high note. It's been uh, it's been difficult, of course, for a lot of people. It's been uh, really really strange for us, you know, compared to uh, years past as fans, as people who follow the sport very closely. Uh, but you know, overall, it's, uh, you know, I, I feel very fortunate that we've had it. I feel very fortunate that we've got. Uh, two of the best, if not, you know, the, the best two teams in college football squaring off with the national championship on the line. So I'm, I'm excited to look for it. Uh, for me, I, I think it's going to be relatively stress-free just because, you know, I, I don't feel like I've got or, or our numbers are saying like, hey, this this is the big edge. Margins are very small. Uh, and, and even though they line up for us, I'm not, you know, in a position where I can say, hey, we're – we're going to hammer that Ohio State yeah. or anything like that and, and go out on a limb because this ain't Matthew McConaughey from two for the money. So, <laughs> right. Yeah, I, I, I get I get what you're saying. Yeah, this is um, it, it's it's what the numbers say. But it, 2020 is a weird feel. 
all, all the way around. And this is the end. I know it's 2021 now, but this is the 2020 end of the, the season here. And um, it's going to be an interesting one for sure. So I'm with you on not uh, hammering home anything. That's for sure. Uh, and I think that's it. I mean, anything else? Uh, we're uh, we're going to talk some transfer portal news uh, next week, some head coaching and, uh, you know, overall coaching changes next week as we wrap up this fun national title game. I'm looking forward to it. Of course, I'll be doing my live stream uh, for ITL during it. So that's going to be a lot of fun watching uh, watching the game with a lot of people. It's, you know, it, it's the best thing you can do. Uh, and also properly social distance, I think, is uh, sit, sit and watch the game with your buddies at a computer for sure. But uh, that's how we do this show as well. But that is going to wrap it up for us. Remember, you can follow us on the Twitter at Bogman Sports for me, at CFP Winning Edge for Nick, at Xavier underscore Trish, T-R-I-C-H-E for Xavier. Good luck with all your bets, and we will see you guys next week. Take it easy, everybody. The CFP Winning Edge podcast is brought to you by our Patreon supporters. You can support this show and help fund our 2021 off-season improvements by visiting patreon.com slash and pledging as little as $5 per month. Thank you to all who have supported us this year, making 2020 our best season yet.